Hey, thanks for listening to the Berwyn AG Podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world. We hope this podcast helps you grow closer to the Lord. For more information, you can visit our website, berwynag.org, or you can find us on all social media platforms at Berwyn AG. If you're blessed by what you hear today, be sure to share and subscribe. Thanks, and as always, God bless. Anybody in the house with coronavirus? <laughs> Special coronavirus prayer time right now, so... If you do have it, why are you here? Yes. Please stay home if you get the coronavirus. If you have the Bud Light virus, we can pray through that. But uh, I've seen a lot of people delivered from the Bud Light virus. But the coronavirus is the one that's really... First, first, uh, first person in Cook County... Uh, on the news this morning. It's a little scary, huh? Uh, What makes the coronavirus so scary uh, is that we are kind of powerless. Really, it's it's not to be feared. It's it's not as bad as the flu, right? Uh, How many of you are fans of the flu? No, I'm not a fan of the flu either, but if it's not as bad as the flu, that's okay. So, uh, we're just worried about people who are comp- compromised immune systems and people who are, who are struggling in their health already and those kinds of folks. But, you know, there's a sense, and you could see it in the stock market this week, you could see it in the, the coverage of the news, there's a sense of frustration and powerlessness against this thing, you know. Uh, I was talking to my son yesterday, who's out in Montana, and... Uh, I said, oh, this isn't even going to hit you out, you out in the sticks. And, uh, you know, and he said, actually, somebody just died in Washington, which is just over the border from them, very close to them. And then uh, just, you know, to show me up, then this person gets it in Cook County here today. And so it's from she to, sea to shining sea across our, our, our state, our nation, and across our state. And so... Uh, my wife and I have decided we're going to go down to the farm for a few months, and we'll just see you. No, I'm just kidding you. But, uh, but I have a place to hide, so if we all need to hide, we can go down there. But you will have to be inspected before you're allowed on the property. So, <laughs> there's a feeling of powerlessness, right? No one likes to be powerless, right? Uh, I always think that Superman is to be pitied. You know, I've seen a lot. We actually have created whole television shows. What's the one on the CWWB? Smallville, thank you. Uh, Thank you, Smallville. Uh, Smallville, the whole story of Smallville is really about the most powerful man in the world having to keep his power on the down low, right? It's really, I mean, he's you know, riding around in a car with his girlfriend, and well, at least at the beginning, she doesn't know and, and doesn't suspect that, he's, that he has all this power. When he gets in a fight on the playground, he can't fight back because he would, like, kill everyone because he's so powerful. And so he has to keep all his power on the down low. 
And uh, I think that's got to be that the issue of having power and handling it rightly is probably the most complicated issue on the, on the planet. We see people who are in, in governmental power, who have all kinds of power, and yet they're, if they're doing it right, they handle themselves with humility. And if they're, if they're not, then the braggadocio that they show demonstrates to us that they really don't know how to hold power. And, so, and, and, and then we see people who were once in power who are no longer in power and can't deal with the fact that they don't have power, right? We see that in there. Nod your head if you're still awake. Yes. Okay. And, and so we see people that are going through those kinds of, of issues. Power is really the issue for our age. Handling power, governmental power. And, and, and uh, for us in the church, it's about spiritual power. And so if you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. And we're talking about waiting Waiting. Acts chapter 1, we're talking about waiting. (coughs) We'll begin at the beginning, just to get a sense of context, but we're really concentrating on the the third through the eighth verse, I think. And this passage of Scripture deals with this action, action of power, and tells us where it comes from. Unlike Superman, we aren't the most powerful people in the world, and we don't have to keep our power on the down low because we don't have enough. And that's really the issue here in the first century church, is that they don't have enough power. So in in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. Let's just stop at that first, first, section, first uh, uh, verse and talk a little bit about what he's saying here. He's saying, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. He's talking about the Gospel of Luke. Luke is talking about the Gospel of Luke, and he's saying that's what Jesus began to do and to teach. What does that imply to us? It implies that Jesus is continuing to do and to teach. Amen? So that, that this isn't, we're not studying history so much as we're studying the history that informs our present. Whenever we're looking at the scripture, the same is true. We're looking at things that actually happened in historical past, and yet they inform our present, and they tell, tell us what the future, the next step in the future, is supposed to be like. So, so we're here we are, uh, we're, we're in, the, in the process here of reading what, what, what Luke is writing to this next generation. He's going he's to cover the historical facts that happened in, to the apostles. So he says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs while he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Now, wait a minute. Just stop and think. Just stop and think now. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive, amen? How many of you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? You have to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ to get into heaven, so I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus is resurrected, but me saying that Jesus is resurrected 
is a lot different than somebody who has spent the last month and a half talking to the resurrected Jesus, right? Being in Jesus' Holy Ghost seminar for the last five and a half weeks, 40 days. The greatest apologetics class that ever happened on the earth. Jesus is showing them many convincing proofs. Man, I would love to have been in that place, right? To hear Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, first of all, to see the resurrected Jesus, oh man, that's got to blow your mind, right? Right? You're, imagine you're in your bedroom tonight, you know, you got your jammies on, you douse the lights, and all of a sudden the resurrected Jesus appears at the foot of your bed, like he did for a friend of mine. Like he's doing all over the Muslim world, actually. He's appearing to all these Muslims, they're seeing vision, and dozens and dozens of them are, are giving their lives and in a clip in one time because they're, they're seeing mass visions of the resurrected Jesus because the gospel's so hard to preach over. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? A friend of mine was, uh, I've told this story before, but he's not, he's not here, he can't come here. So I'll tell you his story. My roommate, uh, Jeff was his name, and he... He uh, had a kidney, fail- kidney failure, couldn't, uh, didn't function, went, was on dialysis, and, and was unable to, to uh, receive, you know, uh, to just act normally, you know. Uh, he was a young person, so he abused that, you know. He would have a couple beers and be drunk for days until he went in for dialysis. You know, he said, this is the greatest money-saving, you know. Anyway, uh, so it was nuts, you know. But uh, so finally his, his, his uh, body is giving out, and he's struggling. And his father meets with the surgeon. His father gives him his kidney, a tremendous act of love for a father to donate his kidney to his son especially his son who wasn't following Jesus at the time. And so uh, father donates the kidney to the son. Son receives the kidney, and he's in the hospital room, and the body is rejecting and rejecting and rejecting. and reje- They're giving him drugs so that his body won't reject this kidney, but the body recognizes it only as a foreign object in his body, and it's rejecting, will not take it, will not work, will not kick in. And the, the nurses come in and say to him with the doctor, they say, we, we were, they're going to have to take this, this kidney that your father donated, they're going to have to take that kidney out of you because your body is rejecting it. We're, we're going give, to give it 24 more hours, and then we're going to have to go back into surgery and just take it out. And he's heartbroken, and his father's heartbroken, and it's a very, very, uh, very difficult moment in their life. And in, in the night, Jesus appears at the foot of his bed. Now, I, when Jeff and I were hanging out together, we were drinking, and we were getting high. And so when, when the Lord appeared at the foot of his bed, he appeared to somebody who was really in a desperate state, who had no worthiness to have Jesus appear to him. And Jesus appears to him and says, and I, you know, I asked him later, what did he look like? All I can tell you, he said, all I could see was his eyes. His eyes were so full of love that they came in, the love came into my body. Anyway, so, 
So Jeff is there, and the Lord speaks to him. He says, your body is rejecting your kidney in the same way that you're rejecting me as your Savior. And that night, he broke. The love of Christ finally broke him. And he picked up the phone next to his bed, and he called his mother at 2 o'clock that morning, and he said, I just gave my life to Christ because I've been rejecting him for so long. I saw this vision at the, at the foot of my bed. It was a huge issue, you know. And uh, just his salvation, because we didn't know what was going to happen, looked like that kidney was going to have to be pulled out the next day. The next day, that kidney kicked in. It was a powerful, amazing miracle. It kicked in before he said he accepted Jesus. I, you know, this is not a story I heard about. This is a guy I, who was my roommate, you know. And, uh, and he, would, he could never tell the story without being in tears. He told the story. God got him a job down in Florida. Uh, years later, he moved away, got down uh, into Florida. And he was a, a, a jail guard down in a prison down there. I can't remember the name of the prison down there. But, and he told that story through the bars over and over and over again. And every time with tears about how God came in and Snatched his life, gave him a wonderful wife. They had a wonderful family. God blessed his, his life, turned his life around because of the vision of Jesus Christ. He said, God can do that. We, have, we serve a living Christ. But to say that you saw Jesus, even my friend Jeff, he saw him for what seemed like a moment. What seemed seemed like a moment. It was just that one time. He didn't see Jesus all the time. He didn't see Jesus every day for 40 days. He didn't have Jesus show up, but it's important for God to make sure that these 12 knuckleheads, look at your neighbor and say, 12 knuckleheads. 12 knuckleheads. Jesus entrusted the gospel to 12 knuckleheads to go out into the world. Even Jesus himself said to these guys, are you still so dull? Right? You've been with me years. You've seen miracles. You've heard the teaching. You've seen it all firsthand. You've seen, you watched the fishes turn into massive amounts of food. You've seen it all. You've seen it all. And still, you get worried when we're out of bread. Still, you get worried when the, the Pharisees come after you. Are you still so dull? Boy, that would be a good name of a good sermon. It's not the one we're preaching today, but that would be a good... Twelve knuckleheads are going to change the world. God wants to change them. How does he do it? He deposits himself into those twelve guys by showing Jesus irrefutable miracles. Jesus' miracles. He's showing them proofs that can't be 40 days. Now, don't you wish you had to do, I mean, I don't want to be martyred for the faith, but I want to see the miracles. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I'm not sure there's, you can trade off like that. It's not a buffet. You have to take the whole package. If you eat your Brussels sprouts, if it's on your plate. So, so this whole thing is coming to, to, to bear. This whole, whole context of this is to say, this is what God is doing. He's bringing his Holy Spirit into the people, people's lives, these apostles' lives. And so he says to them, with 40 days of convincing proofs. And then one night, it says, matter-of-factly, while they were eating. What? 
What? Uh, how many? I, I've read this passage for many, many years, but this time it really jumped out at me. This time it really made me understand. They were all sitting there having dinner with the resurrected Christ. Come on. Come on. That strains the credibility, doesn't it? Or like just sitting around a table, hey, Jesus, could you pass the bread? Of course you can. <laughs> what a silly me. <laughs> you can make more bread if you want. Jesus, the resurrected Christ, is with them. And he's having this dinner party, and they're all gathered around. Don't you think if Jesus is having a, if the resurrected Jesus is having a dinner party, and he gets to the point where he opens his mouth and is going to tell them something, it's worth understanding. If you're there at Jesus' dinner party, and he, he's like E.F. Hutton. Remember the old E.F. Hutton commercials when he speaks? Everyone listens, right? My grandfather, uh, he was a qu- very quiet guy. And so uh, he hardly said anything, you know. He wasn't mean, but he was, he was kind of mysterious to us as kids because he didn't talk a lot, you know. But when he talked, everybody in the whole room shut up because they knew something must have really been important for him to verbalize it, you know. I remember my dad, <clears throat> we had an 8-millimeter camera, and they gave my grandfather this package of underwear for Christmas and uh, so he opens up the package and and he holds up whatever it is a pair of tidy whities that he holds up and they unfold like this as he's holding them they just kind of fall out and unfold in front of him and my dad would run that back and forth on the eight millimeter and we would just laugh back and forth they would fold back up and go down in the box, then open up again, then it would come back down. My dad would laugh and laugh and laugh. I think maybe he was a little crazy. But, <laughs> but, but my grandfather laughed too, because it was hysterical that his underwear was caught on film. But whenever he had something to say, everyone listened. He wasn't the type that would complain about the, di- the dishwasher. They didn't have a dishwasher. Uh, about a, a washing machine breaking. He wouldn't complain about an appliance breaking. He would just go fix it. And that, that's just what he did. But while everyone else would be complaining about, oh, just stop working, water squirting all over the place. I don't And he would just say, the part's only $19. I'm going to go get it. That's the kind of a guy he was. In my imagination, Jesus is just enjoying the fact that we're still together again. You know, us 12, and we're all gathered together. And then Jesus opens his mouth, and suddenly everyone gets quiet. And this is what he says. According to Acts chapter 1, this is what he says. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and asked him, they gathered around, why were they not gathered around the resurrected Christ already? Are you still so dull? Evidently so. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you do something that only Jesus can do in our midst. We ask today for the convincing proof of the movement of your Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord God, that you would visit us with the resurrected Christ, Lord God. We ask that the Holy Spirit would come upon us and baptize us in your power and in your grace, Lord God, afresh and anew. We ask, Lord God, that we would not leave here with powerlessness, Lord God, being our problem, but we would leave here with the Superman problem, having all the power of heaven available at our very words when we ask in Jesus' name, but having to keep it on the down low so that we can witness to people, Lord God. In Jesus' name, we ask for that. Amen and amen. Woo! I'm already feeling the Holy Spirit this morning. Do not leave Jerusalem. What is he saying? You can't handle this. Well, we've been with the resurrected Christ. We believe he's the Messiah. We've been with him. We've heard these teachings. You aren't ready, he says. You don't have enough power. What happens if they leave here? What happens if they, if they leave there too early? They get swallowed up by the enemy. Come on now. If you're not ready, you got to know you're not ready. And Jesus is saying to them, you're not ready. Yes, you believe. Yes, your sins are forgiven. Yes, you've received the word of God, but you're not ready yet. Come on, this is a word for somebody this morning. You're considering going into ministry, but the Lord is saying to you, you're not ready yet. You don't have the power. You don't have the dunamis power. Luke chapter 4 verse 49 tells us that Jesus is telling them to wait in Jerusalem until they receive power from on high, until they are clothed with power from on high. It's never going to be the power that comes inside of you and becomes yours. It's always going to be power that's borrowed like a, like a hot oven mitt protects your hand when you go in to grab a pot that's too hot for you, but it's not too hot for the power that's clothed your hand. In the same way, the Holy Spirit wants you to know today that God can equip you. He can equip you. He can equip you. He can give you the power. He can give you the, the strength. He can give you what you need. But you're not ready yet. Don't leave Jerusalem. What the church needs is not a fog machine. Not perfect doctrine, not ministry tricks, not training in psychology, not positive thinking. What the church needs is the power of God. We don't need more technology. We don't need anything other than the power of God. I was talking to my son, and I said to him just the other day, I remember when ministry was this, sing Preach and pray over people. That's what There's a lot of things that ministry has become. Most of those I'm not good at. But I can sing and I can preach and I can pray. Don't leave Jerusalem. The powerless church is a frustrated church. The frustrated church is a compromising church. 
The compromising church rapidly becomes a political church. And the political church is so far from what Jesus has called it to be that we've lost our identity. We're no longer who we should be. Come on now. Man, I just feel like God wants to do something. What did he tell them to do? Wait. Wait. Waiting is the hardest part. (laughs) It is. Waiting. We got many who talk about prayer, but few who walk prayer. We got a lot of stressors, but we don't got too many intercessors. We got many belly acres, but few stronghold breakers. So many want to do it, but they don't know you know who. We aren't the people that we ought to be. Running through my mind are the scriptures by now. Many of you ought to be teachers. And still for us, church is come and sit and soak and receive, and then we go out and spend it on not ministry, but on ourselves. It's a miracle, no doubt, that you're raising teenagers and you haven't lost your mind. I get it. But if that's the vision of the ministry that God has for you just to survive, then you're missing the point. He has more power for us that he wants to distribute in us and through us. He has more to give to us if only we will do what he asked. And what did he ask? Did he ask us to tithe more? Nope. No, he didn't ask us to do that. Did he ask us to go and have a podcast from somebody who's famous? No, no, he didn't ask that either. What did he ask us to do? To wait upon God. Don't go until you've received the power from God. Recognize that once the power of God comes upon you, everything will change. Everything will change. The church has to unite. CLC has to unite. We have to wait upon God. I understand it's important for us to break bread together, for us to do activities together to build unity. I understand that. But the one primary activity that we should be uniting around is waiting upon the presence of God. Of God. We are pitiful when it comes to this. A lot of that's my fault. I'll own that. We have to get better at waiting on God. Jack Hayford wrote this powerful quote We're under instructions to change the world. Once you have been rescued from it, you'll need power to become a threat to it. The world which contained you in its grasp until now will not release its hold on others without a fight. Power is the key to victory. Prayer is the pathway to power. There is no way we can leave our Jerusalem unless we have waited upon the Lord. 
We have to put ourselves in the place where we're waiting upon God. What does God imagine our life to be? What does He desire it? What does Jesus want from it? He says, listen, you were baptized in water. John baptized you in water. It's a great thing, but I'm coming to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Just trying to figure a way to show this. I only know this one way to do this. When every Christian gets saved, that Christian, this Christian is an American Indian, evidently. Uh, uh, this Christian receives the Holy Spirit in his life, and he's got the Holy Spirit in his life right here. You see that water in there? He's got the Holy Spirit in his life. In order for that Christian to do ministry, he needs more than just a little dabble do you of the Holy Ghost. He needs the power of God to be on the inside. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem. Wait in Jerusalem. So then Jesus promises that they would be, they would be baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. We see throughout the scripture that it says that they began to seek God and they were full of the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit would just fill them up as they prayed and wait upon the Lord. Oh God, send your Holy Spirit and fill us all the way to the top, Lord, so we can do what you've called us to do. Oh Lord, we ask that you would pour yourself out in us. But that's not what Jesus said here. He said that they would be baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. That would be the equivalent to me taking this cup and dropping it into a tank full of water where it was completely surrounded with the power of the Holy Spirit. Where the Holy Spirit surrounded everything. They would be baptized into the realm of the Spirit. They were about to embark upon spreading the kingdom of God throughout all the earth. And so the Holy Spirit would, would fill them. You, there's no way to come out of the tank but full. Once you're down in the tank, you come out full every time. But as you are ministering, you're going to get some on you. You're going to make a mess. Look at them out there. Spilling the Holy Spirit on all those people wherever they go. Come on. Your people you're bumping into. Excuse me, ma'am. Do you know Jesus? Uh, excuse me, sir. Have you met the, the Savior of the world? And then you come back to church. And what we're supposed to do is not just sing songs, not just preach sermon, but there has to be a refilling in the power of the Holy Spirit over and over and over and over again. This is the only way we will quench the thirsting of the world you've got to have it in you get in my belly get in my belly the scripture says when the Holy Spirit comes upon you out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water come on somebody if you want it shout about it this is our desire. This is what he's saying. He's not saying, oh, you get the Holy... Yeah, you get the Holy Spirit when you get saved. I get that. But living in a harsh world, you're going to have to be full. I always say, full to the brim with him. That's what we want. 
to be full to the brim with him. Pastor Matthew today was challenging us about why we, we on the worship team lead worship. Are we just playing music or are we trying to glorify him? Are we full to the brim with him? I'm t- telling you it's hard when, when you're exhausted and you're tired and you're fighting the devil on every account. I get it. I understand that. But we've got to get to this place where we are immersed in the Holy Spirit, completely and totally immersed and not sprinkled, not a little bit in there, not even full for a moment, but completely immersed in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was dealing with these believers. He was saying to them, yes, you know Jesus as your Savior. Yes, your sins are forgiven. Yes, you're in the kingdom. Yes, God has a purpose and a plan for you. But it's not time to run around and shout just yet. The Holy Spirit needs to be in you. And then what do these believers do? You know, we, like these disciples, are always missing the point. Right? I'm going to send you out of Jerusalem to the rest of the world. Then they all gather around and they say, tell us something about the end times, Jesus. He says to them, you're in out of your depth. Basically, that's what he says to them. Is this when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You don't get it. You don't get it. The kingdom is within you and you're going to carry it out of here. The whole, this just proves you can't leave Jerusalem, yet you're not, you're not equipped enough to leave Jerusalem. Why do we always want to talk? Right? I love y'all, but y'all talk too much. I know you're saying so do you, Pastor. We always talk. Pastor, what you need to do is a teaching, real deep teaching on prayer. Oh, I know people would come out for a deep teaching on prayer. But that's not what we're about. I don't want to give you a deep teaching on prayer. I want you to pray. It's totally different. You got to bend your knee. You got to bow your head. You got to cry out to God. You got to lift your hands. You have to shout and cry and weep and, and empty your soul out before God. You say, Well, you don't understand. That's not the way I'm wired. Don't leave Jerusalem, please. I hear preachers and teachers on the radio, I hear that, that need to go back to Jerusalem. The podcasts I listen to, sometimes I think, dude, you should be back in Jerusalem. Books I read written by guys who left Jerusalem too early, they don't have the Holy Spirit on their life. You, he said, will receive power. As a result of waiting on the Spirit, power came. Is there another way? Because we don't like that way. Maybe we could have music playing and run through a tunnel to get filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Well, I don't know if that works or not. But I know waiting on God works. Can't a preacher just pray over me? No, you have to wait. No one can wait for you. Look at your neighbor and say, you got to wait for yourself. Come on now. Isn't there another way that I can have the power? No! There's only one way. Can it come mail order? Can't you send for it on Amazon? Don't you? Isn't there another way to get the power of God? No, you must bow your knee. You must cry out to God. You must break down your soul. You must say, fill me now. Fill me now. Fill me now, Holy Spirit. And you must cry out. Pastor, how do we know when the Holy Spirit comes upon us? It's very simple. Every powerless person, when filled with the Holy Spirit, has power. You say, well, I spoke in tongues. Well, if you didn't come up with power, you need to go back down. I know that's probably theologically not correct according to my denomination. But I'm not preaching out of the denominational handbook. I'm preaching out of Acts chapter 1 today. Powerless people have power. Power of the Holy Spirit. Power to change their life. Power to discipline themselves. Power to walk with self-discipline. Power to witness the gospel to those that are lost. Powerless people have the power of God on their life. Yeah, you'll speak in tongues, you'll prophesy, you'll do all kinds of other crazy stuff to make you more of a freak than you ever were. All that's true, but unless you have, I don't, I don't want you to be freaky, I want you to be powerful. Jesus said you've got to have the power of God on your life. Why would he preach a message like this? It's not even Pentecost Sunday. Witnesses. You will be my witnesses. You think the mob is the only entity that tries witness intimidation? Every day Satan is trying to intimidate you. Shh, they're going to think you're a weirdo. They find out you were in church yesterday and that you got excited and raised your hand. Whew. If they only knew you yelled hallelujah. If they only knew what you truly believe. If they only knew that you were asking God to fill your life with power so that you could be a bold witness. Think about these people who testify against the mafia. They're held in seclusion and then they're brought up, march into the courtroom, getting the hairy eyeball from the Dirty Don and all the other guys that are in there trying to intimidate them. They sit down on that stand and look that defendant in the eye. And they say, he did thus and such. Takes tremendous courage. Would you do it? 
Would you do it if they knew that you knew they were hunting down your family? Would you testify against the mafia if you, that you knew that they were looking for you, if they were going to try to kill you later on, that it was maybe going to cost you your life? That's tremendously bold, I think. It's a gut check. Well, it's not much different for a disciple of Jesus Christ. The easiest day of my week is Sunday. Because I get up and I dress up and I come in and talk to Christians. Y'all are so easy to talk to. God commanded you to love me. <laughs> you have to love me. It's a commandment. Come on now, think about it. Some of you are going to take a little while for that. It's a commandment. The easiest thing I can do is tell the truth to people who are truth seekers. But after today, then tomorrow, I'm supposed to tell the truth to people who aren't seeking truth, who don't want to hear the truth, who are plugging their ears as I tell them, this world is going to hell in a handbasket, but God has made a way. I don't want to hear that because that means I have to change. Listen, listen, sinner man, you don't have to change you don't have to change. God will change you. All you got to do is be open for change and say, Jesus, come in and make the change necessary. I, there was no time in my life when I came to myself and I realized I'm going to have to change my life. It never happened. It still hasn't happened to today. I just started reading the scripture thinking, wow, that's not me. And then I would go to prayer. And God would say, I'm so glad you're reading the word. We're going to work on that in you. We're going to make you nice instead of the jerk that you are. If you don't believe I'm a jerk, ask my wife. She could tell you she has firsthand testimony. She has seen the miracle of decade after decade after decade of me being in the presence of the Lord and the Lord grinding off all those sharp edges. It's almost to the point where we can stand being with each other. Actually, she has never given up on me because she knows it's a work in process. God is polishing the gem that is somewhere inside the stone that no one else could see. God is working on you. It's a, it's a horrendous process of me having to apologize for me over and over again. For me going to my children and saying, I'm so sorry, that wasn't Jesus. That wasn't like Christ. That was me. And then immediately after I apologize to them and apologize to my wife, I have to go talk to the Lord and say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit so I don't do it again. I don't know how many hockey games I got thrown out of because I was screaming stuff from the stands. And in my defense, those penalties were missed by that 12-year-old that was on the ice. It was a completely missed penalty, and I, was, I wasn't going to hurt him, but I did scare the snot out of him. I know that. My wife said, 
That embarrasses me. I'll never forget the day she said that. And there's a part of me that wanted to say, hey, babe, this is what you married. You know, this is who I am. I'm just a loud mouth out my own way. I don't want to rock them and sock them a robot. That's who I am. But I went into the presence of the Lord and I said, God, help me to never do that again. And I never did do it again after that day. And she's told me that. And I realized maybe it's because of the level of trust. I know she loves me. I know she's put up with so much over the years. Someday they're going to give a medal to her. But I know the level of intimacy that we have. So when she says, that's not good, I can hear that. Jesus loves you more than my wife loves me. And he looks at you and says, sit back down, buddy. Stay in Jerusalem. I think some of us cycle back through Jerusalem. We come to a prayer meeting, we get filled with the Holy Spirit, we go out and do ministry for a while, and we forget to top off the tank, and pretty soon then we're dry. And we're barren. And we find ourselves back in Jerusalem, maybe not physically, but we're back in Jerusalem, emotionally and spiritually. And it's time for us to stand up and go do ministry again, and I think Jesus is standing in heaven going, sit back down, you're still in Jerusalem. Wait, wait. Charles Finney said this, the mind is constituted that it cannot fast, it cannot fast and its desires intensely, fasten its desires intensely upon many things at the same time. In all the instances of effective prayer recorded in the Bible, they are this kind. Singular. Whenever you see the blessing sought for in prayer was attained, you will find that the prayer which was offered was the prayer for the definite object. In other words, you don't just stand in the presence of the Lord for a few seconds and say, do whatever you want to do to me, Lord. Because you'll never know the prayer was answered. We have to be Definitely pursuing the filling of the Holy Spirit. We cannot allow it to make us make us wishy-washy. It's painful. It's painful to be empty. My daughter called this morning and said, my grandson who's had the flu since Friday, was dry heaving this morning. Dad, what do I do? Oh no. I don't know. I don't have the answer. I am powerless. There's nothing I can say for you to do. What are we going to do? We have got to find the power.
Oh, I can pray, but I've got to seek him. I've got to cry out to him. Let me remind you that what started the whole thing, this whole church thing, was the fire of the Holy Spirit. What keeps it going is the fire of the Holy Spirit. What will bring us around the corner in the future is the fire of the Holy Spirit. Don't you think for a moment that anything else but the fire of the Holy Spirit is not crucial and important to Christian Life Center. I'm preaching to us today. I'm encouraging us today. I'm telling you the only way is the fire of the Holy Spirit. It's got to burn in us. And if you're honest with yourself today, you know there's a lot of us in here that need to stay in Jerusalem and wait upon the Lord. That we have no business walking out the doors until we're full of the Holy Spirit. So today, I want to wait upon the power of God. I want to cry out to God. Don't put your coat on. Don't snap up your Bible. Don't look at your neighbor. Don't close up your wallet. Don't leave the sanctuary a powerless believer, the same powerless believer that walked in here this morning. Wait upon the Lord. Would you make your seat or find a place at this altar or pace the aisles or whatever you have to do to wait upon the the Lord today and just pray come Holy Spirit I need you come sweet spirit I pray come in your strength and your power come in your special way Hallelujah. Lord, we the empty, we the weakened, we the broken, we the starving, we the thirsty, call upon you, Lord. We ask for your Holy Spirit to meet us in this place with your power. We need more, God. More love, more power, more of you in our life, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, pour yourself upon us, Lord. We cry out to you from our emptiness, Lord. In our dearth, Lord, we cry out to you, Lord. Lord, out of frustration, Lord, we cry out because the the task that you've laid before us, the walls that need to come down by the power of the Holy Spirit, they need to be occupied by those who are empowered by the Spirit of the living God. We believe you, Lord. We believe you for the truth of your word, Lord God. We believe you, Lord. We cry out to you today. We humble ourselves. I need the strength to get through my life, Lord, but I need more than enough for me. I need to be able to give it to others, Lord. 
So send down your power. Send down your might. Send down your, your authority, Lord God. Pour it out into our lives, Lord God. Fill us up again and again and again. We pray it in Jesus' name. We pray it for the expanse of your kingdom. We pray it, Lord, for the revival that needs to come to our nation and to our town, Lord. We pray it, Lord God, so that you will give us the steady hand to do the work that you've given to us. We pray it, Lord, because we're afraid of, of things like the coronavirus and things that are just over our head. We pray for your power, Lord God. We pray for your grace, Lord. We pray for the impact of your power in our life. We pray for your power in our marriages, Lord God, and in our families, Lord God. We pray for the power imprint upon us, Lord God. Move by your power, by your strength, by your might, Lord God, in us, Lord. We hold up empty hands to you, Lord God, saying we don't have what we need to do the work that you've called us to. So come fill us by your power. Come fill us by your might. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord, in this place, Lord, on this Sunday morning. Come, Lord God. Come pour out your spirit into our life, Lord God. Come, Holy Spirit. Come in your strength and your power. Come, Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, fill us and baptize us. Lord, we pray it in Jesus' name for your honor and glory. Because we believe that we will yet again see the glory of the Lord rest upon us. Thanks for listening. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. We take pride in creating free content that will hopefully enrich your life and lead you closer to the heart of the Father. If you are blessed by what you heard today, help us continue to make content just like this by sharing, subscribing, and if you feel led, by contributing financially on our website, berwinag.org. As always, if there's anything that we can do to help you in your walk with the Lord, contact us on our website, berwinag.org, or on social media at berwinag. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.